It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports on a Monday? We do. From our Dixieline Lumber and Home Center studios in San Diego, we welcome you to our Monday bonus podcast, Hacksaw's Headlines. Christmas week is upon us. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton along with my co-host, John Riley. We welcome you. We have an absolute ton of topics on the table over the next hour or so. And, of course, we will also have you as a co-host at the end with fans forum. So get ready to fire us some questions along the way. Our Monday bonus podcast brought to you by Dixieline Lumber and Home Center Stores. Nine locations in San Diego. More than 100 years of experience. You've got projects planned for 2024 your best friend might be dixie line lumber contact them take a stroll through the store talk to their consultants about the projects at hand dixie line lumber and home center stores john riley good afternoon have we got a lot to cover some good some really bad yeah i mean a ton of sports information plus we were just catching up you're running around the christmas holiday season how's everything going at the hacksaw household if you have the toll-free number the 800 number, the guy that has the patent on the 36-hour day, please give me that phone number. Thank you very much. Hey, we got an absolute amazing variety of things that we're going to discuss. John, before we hit the floor running, invite everybody to join us for Fans Forum, How Does That Work?, and explain to them that we're looking for new members on our team, the Insiders Group. How does that work? John, the floor is yours. The floor is mine. All right, yeah. If you want to get involved in the uh, the, the fans forum, I see Rob has already jumped in with a Merry Christmas message. Hey, if you want a, a question or a, a comment for Hacksaw, just type it in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. We'll get you involved in the fans forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines. And yeah, be sure to join the Hacksaw Insiders group. Boy, we've been pushing out a lot of content there. You get on our email list. You just go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com and the upper right corner is an orange box. Just put in your name and email, get on our list, and we got a lot of great things planned for you in 2024. And a reminder, you like our podcast, you like my website, you need to check the website. There's an absolute ton of written stuff every day. We want you to subscribe so you'll get all the alerts. We want you to share with all your friends, tell them what we're doing, and because it's a Christmas season, we'll take a thumbs up. We'll take a five-star rating from you. John, topic one, Pick something off the bulletin board. Where do you want to well, go? Well, the obvious place to go is the disaster up in SoFi Stadium with these Chargers. The Chargers, last Thursday, 63-21 trashing at the hands of the hated rival, the Raiders. It was the worst Charger game I have ever seen in modern time. And all the years I was a voice of the Chargers and the Seattle Seahawks, I never broadcast a game that was so bad. When it was 42 nothing at halftime, you and I looked at each other and nearly <laughs> dropped their beer on the carpet. Uh, the end result, I wrote a scathing one man's opinion column on Thursday night that appeared Friday morning. Your letter of resignation is expected on my desk by 9 a.m. <laughs> by 9.30 a.m. on Friday, the Chargers had fired their coach, had fired their general manager. And I hate to pile on. But I did it Saturday morning on KUSI on my Saturday sports report. I intentionally took a 15-yard penalty for targeting 
the Chargers, the first family of football. That's what they call themselves. The brass of those people to take the franchise from San Diego, move it to L.A., and brand themselves as the first family of football. The first family of football is in last place in the AFC West. The players quit on Brandon Staley. It's obvious to me Brandon Staley is so overwhelmed with the job, they reach the end of the road with him. He exit totally defiant of the opinion, I believe in my system, I believe in my players. Well, you're 24 and 25, and you got one of the great young quarterbacks in the league in Justin Herbert, and you can't make the playoffs, and your players quit on the field in the first half. I've never seen anything as disgraceful as that. And I like Brandon Staley. I think he's a bright light, but he was defiant. He was inflexible. I've been told from within that the packages that they were trying to run with the defense caused terrible mental overload. And that's why the Chargers defense, notably the back seven linebackers and secondary, always seem to be a step slow or never, ever getting there, blowing communication, guys running open. And they got sucker punched. I mean, you look at what the Raiders did. The Raiders scored on two wide receiver option plays, and the Raiders' receivers were open from here to the back parking lot. Chargers <laughs> blew the coverage. They got beat on a wildcat, wildcat formation run by a running back who had not carried the ball all year, and he went 35 yards along the way. And then as, as the game progressed, it just got worse and worse. So Brandon Staley's gone. Tom Telesco, the general manager who built this roster, a lot of athletes, better breed of athletes than they've ever had, has drafted well. He's found a few quality free agents. He pays the price, too. He's fired. I felt bad for both those guys because I was able to communicate with them, and they responded very well to questions I asked. may not have always agreed with what I wrote on my website, my One Man's Opinion column. But you go back— and you look, Staley's first year, offensive line wiped out by injuries. Staley's second year, virtually all the defensive stars, major significant injuries, missed chunks of the season. Year three, Justin Herbert plays with a fractured left finger, then fractures his right hand, index finger, at the end of the season. Nothing was ever the way it had been planned to be because they couldn't keep their players on the field. And now we find out from what I've been told, the playbook was so complicated, there was just mental overload for a lot of the young players defensively. So it's really ugly. And I will tell you, the media guys that I text back and forth with, not to a man, everyone hoped the Raiders had put 70 on the Chargers <laughs> in that game last Thursday night. <laughs> That's brutal. Oh, not too much hate, even though it's the Christmas season. Lump of coal to Dean Spano. So they got they got a massive problem. And the Raiders, Raiders did not play like that at all. Week prior, the Raiders lost a three nothing game, <laughs> and, they, and their offense was incompetent virtually all season, and they just killed the Bolts. And at the end of the game, Antonio Pierce was asked walking off the field by the NFL Network people, what'd you tell your guys who are in the up 42 nothing at halftime? He said, I told them to keep their foot on the pedal against those guys. Yeah. Those guys, the Chargers. They're hated rivals, the Chargers. They wanted to run up a score on the Chargers, and they essentially they did. And then, then there was NFL video showing the Chargers owner's booth, and there's Spano standing in the shadows trying to stay out of the limelight 
<laughs> hey, own it. You created this mess. And it was John Spanos, the president of football operations. Thanks, Dad, for the job. He didn't want to look into the cameras either. And the worst part of this, or maybe it's the best part of this, depending on how you care about the Chargers, the worst and best of this was on national TV. The whole bleeping <laughs> nation saw the incompetence of Charger football. And I would have to say there was a lot of cheering in San Diego. So I felt bad about what happened to two guys that I liked. But, John, the scoreboard does not lie. And this thing has been on a downhill slope. And, you know, now now we've got, obviously, what they're portraying as the excitement of hiring a new coach and general manager. And my response to that is, do you think we can trust the first family of football to hire the right coach and right general manager when you consider the last three head coaches that they've hired and when you consider their history that they fired a Hall of Fame coach in Don Coryell, fired their Super Bowl coach Bobby Ross, fired Marty Schottenheimer after 14-2 and two season? Charger fan, are you going to trust the first family of football <laughs> to get it right this time with their track record? And by the way, their track record, out-of-town school board, 313 wins, 341 losses. Oof. So brutal topics on the table, John. Pick anything there and everything. There are so many <laughs> angles to this. I mean, well, first of all, as you know, as you as a professional journalist, former play-by-play of the Chargers. I mean, and loudmouth talk show and host. loudmouth talk show host. I mean, you're covering this. You know, giving it the professionalism it deserves. But on the other hand, I'm a former season ticket holder of the Chargers, and I had it up to here with these guys. And when they moved to L.A., I kind of bailed on the NFL for a few years, and now it's just pure comedy. The, it's so entertaining to see this team continually screw it up. Now, I heard one person comment that Telesco, while he is the GM, he's really only kind of a super scout. Like that really John Spanos is the guy that makes the decisions on the roster in the draft. I mean, what's your take on that? Why does John Spanos still have his job if he was a decision maker with Tess Telesco? Mm-hmm. Hey, they were joined at the hip. They worked together for 11 plus years. If one guy goes, shouldn't the other guy go? Oh, no, we can't. Nepotism. Yes. There's nothing wrong with nepotism <laughs> if you're on the receiving end of it. Correct. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, just what a just a, what a disaster of the whole situation, too. And against the Raiders. I mean, of all teams, oh, and then the Raiders scored zero points the week before. But it was just insane what happened with, uh, in that game. I mean, it's just it's still mind boggling. Now, going back to Staley. It's interesting that, you know, he's this defensive guru and he's got this magic, you know, defensive scheme, but it is complicated. And, you know, you you that's one of the I guess one of the uh, sins of coaches is that they make it too hard. And if the players have to think more than just react. Smart guy. Smart guy. Too smart. Yeah. Playbook this thick. Aren't enough hours in the day to be able to execute everything in that playbook. Exactly. It's it's really tough. I, I would assume he will go back to the Rams in some type of assistance job under Sean McVay and maybe rebuild credibility. Uh, Telesco will probably get hired somewhere else, not as a general manager, but probably as a player personnel guy mm-hmm. or a director of scouting. You know, I said at the start of the season, because you had the brass to ask me about being the former voice of the Chargers and being so outspoken about how this ended and what they did to 55 years of loyalty. And I remember the comment 
I'm a huge Justin Herbert fan. I I hope he goes 17 and 0. But in terms of Dean Spanos, he went 0 and 17. Well, they're not 0 and 17, but this is pretty bleeping close to being as bad as being 0 and 17 <sighs> in the vision of the fans and the community. And now. Charger football in L.A., it does look irrelevant again. Again. And, and you know, you mentioned the records of the team of Telesco and of Staley. Staley's only one game under 500, but that doesn't tell the story. No. I mean, geez, I mean, blowing that game in Jacksonville in the playoffs last year. 27 nothing lead, and they lost. And they lost. And then they're 42 nothing, you know, trailing halftime. at the halftime against the Raiders. It's It's insane how this franchise over and over makes terrible decisions. And to your point, you know, getting rid of Ross and Coriel and Schottenheimer. I mean, come on, man. What are these guys doing? What page of the dictionary is the word chargering in? Yeah. yeah. I think that might be the word of the year in Webster, Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Yeah. Okay. Well, if if you're an NFL fan, if you're a Charger fan, if you're a Charger hater, Hey, send us, jump in the chat box and get in line so you can ask us and make some statements, ask some questions. <laughs> your your feel about Charger football right now. You think NFL Films would like to hire me to do a commentary <laughs> on where the Chargers are right now? Okay. okay. So we go from the bad to what is next on the horizon yeah. for the Bolts. Yeah, we got a lot of um, interesting candidates here for the new job. Now, they can start contacting people who are not coaching. They can start contacting people on teams that will not be in the playoffs. But in terms of marquee hot candidates, other teams, they can't do it till the divisional round is over. So there will be a chunk of time in which the Chargers are very limited in their search for a new coach, new general manager. I've been told that they're going to hire a general manager first, then the general manager with John Spanos will lead the search for a head coach. So it's not like they got to do it a week from Monday. They do have lead time. And if they have guys that are not working in the NFL now or guys on teams that are out of the playoffs, they can start pursuing permission to interview these guys. Hot list, general manager. This is a guy that I really like. His name is Adam Peters. He's been a longtime assistant general manager to the San Francisco 49ers. You know them, best oh, yeah. record, NFL, John Lynch, and all that. Adam Peters, I think, is a hot candidate. Uh, Joe Horwitz, Baltimore Ravens. Who is Baltimore? They win, and they win, and they win. And they draft really well. Seldom do they do anything in free agency. Obviously, John Harbaugh is the face as the head coach, but Joe Horwitz... His player personnel director, pretty good track record. Another guy nobody knows. He's been with this team for 21 years. You go back and you look at the history of the Dallas Cowboys. Hmm. They draft well, and they don't make a lot of mistakes in free agency. Will McClay. Those are three names right off the top that I think they're going to get the chance to talk to. Now, because all three of those are on clubs that are probably going to be playing into January deep, they won't have a chance to hire one of them at this point. But those are three guys with great credibility on their resume. Thoughts? 
thoughts. Well, I mean, it, it, you can't go wrong hiring a 49er assistant GM considering what that team has been doing or the Ravens uh, uh, assistant GM. But I just I want to ask a question is what is the like, I guess the brand of the Chargers? What are they going to be known for? What's their calling card? Because I think you have to have that identity and then you build around that identity if you're going to hit the reset button and start over. That's a real valid question considering most of the things you say are out in left field. But <laughs> No, in all honesty, that's a valid question with an asterisk right at the end because they're in salary cap hell. The roster they have right now is not going to be the roster they're going to have next year because they are like 60 to 70 million over the salary cap. So they've got decisions. Who do they keep? Who do they restructure? Are they going to have to chop bodies? So the roster around Justin Herbert, who is the focal point, the quarterback, I think is is going to be in for some real change once we get the new general manager in. Who are they? That's a quarterback that throws the ball down the field. Who are they? They need something different in the offensive line because the offensive line disappointed everybody. Who are they? I think they're saying goodbye to Austin Eckler, so now they have no established running backs. Hmm. So they got a pile of issues on offense. And by the way, after you fix that next Monday, what the hell are you going to do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday with the defense, which hasn't played well for three straight-plus years under Brandon Staley's system? A lot of athletes, but not very many of them, are accomplished. And, you know, they've turned Derwin James into just a pedestrian safety, and that guy was supposed to be the next Rodney Harrison, the next Ronnie Lott, and where has he been the last year and a half? The system sucks. Kenneth Murray, first-round draft pick, linebacker. Uh, when was the last time he made a play? Yeah, you don't hear his name much. No, not at all. And then obviously the enormous amounts of money they're paying the two pass rushers, Bosa and Kilo Mack. I don't think they can afford to have $61 million cap space tied up in those two guys. And Bosa's hurt all the time. We got the wrong Bosa on our team. <laughs> the, real, the real Bosa's in San Francisco. <laughs> so, John, that's a long answer to your very pertinent question. Who are they? They got a lot of problems. One problem they don't have is the kid quarterback, Justin Herbert. But boy, they got other issues. Now they got the money asterisk issue they got to deal with. Now, let's talk about coaches. And there's a zillion names out there. Just thumb through the phone book. You'll find a name that might be a candidate. (laughs) Bill Belichick. Uh, The general consensus across the board is he will exit New England at the end of the season. I hope it's not messy. Uh, Fans in Boston are really angry, uh, which is absurd. They've had such a phenomenal run, all those Super Bowl rings with Belichick and Tom Brady. But Belichick has created this mess that has now taken down Belichick, the coach, because Belichick, the general manager, has done such a poor job in free agency and kind of a substandard job, I think, in the draft. If Belichick becomes available, would he come out here? My heart says I would make a run at him only as my coach. He is not going to be upstairs in the player personnel department. But the Spanoses historically have been terribly cheap. I can't see them paying Belichick $7 million or $9 million. Belichick, if he exits New England, think he will. Belichick might wind up in Washington. New owner. Charlotte. Impulsive owner. And if something bad happens with the New York Jets, because they're not winning under Robert Soleil, could you imagine Woody Johnson relinking with Belichick? Hmm. So that's where we are with him. Dan Quinn, 
He did an admirable job in a tough situation, head coach Atlanta. He wound up getting fired. He was above 500. He got fired. He has reinvented himself, his resume, with what he's done with the defense with the Dallas Cowboys last night withstanding. (laughs) Uh, Jim Schwartz, he is the creative juice that has made the Cleveland Browns the best defense in the NFL. Former defensive uh, assistant, Philadelphia Eagles. Head coach, Detroit, failed badly, bad organization. He's reinvented his credibility, too. Jim Harbaugh, Michigan. We all know track record, what he did USD, what he did Stanford, what he did at Michigan, what he did with the 49ers. The only negative to Harbaugh is that he wears out his welcome. Every place that he was at as he fixed football programs, they were ready for him to leave when he exited. And I don't know if Michigan wants him out, but the NCAA may have something to say about this because I still maintain there's something coming down this road about the COVID blackout recruiting violations that Michigan's program was in. But Harbaugh's a candidate. And then you've got Ben Johnson, offensive coordinator, Detroit Lions, getting a lot of credit for fixing Jared Goff. Uh, You've got Frankie Smith, offensive coordinator, Miami, what he's done with Tua. The only issue is hot coordinators. Chargers have done this three times now in a row. Mike McCoy. Anthony Lynn, Brendan Staley, hasn't worked out. Mm-hmm. So are you you think you can hit the jackpot with somebody else's young coordinator, or are you just going to revisit struggles because they're learning on the job, or are you better serve to go get a veteran guy? And John Riley says... This is a great question because... Often we, the Chargers have hired great, you know, coordinators, even Norv Turner, right? But they're not leaders of men. They're not the guys that really, you know, get their team to come up to another level. Um, so this may be the time we need to get an experienced head coach, or at least a guy that's done it before, even if they're now a, a coordinator. So, you know, a lot of these names on the list are names we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Dan Quinn might be pretty interesting. I don't want Belichick. I mean, you know, just turn the page on that guy. I mean, when he doesn't have Tom Brady, he's nothing special. And he's had a rough go in other places. Um, Quinn is interesting. Harbaugh is the sexy name, but I'm not sure about that. Um, And then, you know, who else is there? I mean, that that would be worthy of consideration. It just seems that some teams just kind of hit a guy like, you know, Antonio Pierce doing a pretty good job at the Raiders. Sometimes teams just find a guy that just has magic. And I'm just wondering if any of these guys have that Midas touch. So you're telling me. You don't want to hear the name John Gruden either. Oh, Gruden. <laughs> well, I thought he was going back to the Raiders. That's what you were saying. No, no Gruden. I mean, no way. It's t- the, the toughest part in the NFL, and I've walked those hallways and my relationships with these general managers. The toughest part, maybe it's an imagery thing, hiring a veteran guy. Are you hiring a guy that you think deserves a second chance, or are you hiring a retread? And that's a big argument. You know, is Mm -hmm. Dan Quinn a second chance guy because of what he's done in Dallas? Or is he just some other guy who got fired some other place? Now you're going to give him another chance? A tough call. Yeah, it is. Okay, we go from coaching. And again, you got a comment. Fans Forum chat box is open, so you need to join us. Uh, Let's talk about games. Yeah, I mean, a lot of big games over the weekend. (laughs) A lot of Uh, bad games, too. Yeah, that, too. A lot of backup quarterbacks. Uh, Chargers, Raiders, we discussed how ugly that was. All-time ugly. 
Dallas Cowboys Buffalo. You talk about getting jumped and thrown in the barrel over Niagara Falls. I could not believe what I saw with the Cowboys. Uh, Buffalo just came out of the chute, out of the tunnel, firing. And Josh Allen had an okay game throwing the ball. James Cook, what a phenomenal day. Over 200 all-purpose yards. Buffalo mugged Dallas's offensive line. Dak Prescott, who went into the game with a quarterback rating of 106, just got battered unmercifully. Baltimore, Lamar Jackson, their offense, what they did defensively, choked off Trevor Lawrence. Jaguars are on a bit of a bad tailspin, and Trevor Lawrence is hurt again. You know, two weeks ago, he suffered what looked like a really scary ankle injury. He's come back to play the last two weeks, but hasn't been himself. Now he's in the concussion portal, and Baltimore is just going down the field, throwing it, running it. They got 51 quarterback sacks on the season. Kansas City, New England. This is not vintage chief football any longer. Mahomes, two more interceptions. As crummy as New England's been, New England climbed back into that game. So I, if you're a chief fan, great. You'll be in the playoffs. You might be one and done. This is not Kansas City chief football. And Travis Kelsey is hurt again. What a coaching job by Sean McVay. Rams wallop Washington. Rams are 7-7. Seven and seven. One of the dummies here at this table made the comment of, oh, I wonder how Sean McVay is going to like being 4-13 and because I, th- I thought they were going to tank. And what's happened is McVay has done such a phenomenal job coaching up these young guys in the offensive line led by their top pick, Steve Avila, and what they've done with Ernest Jones at middle linebacker, what they've done with all these kids in the secondary, and Aaron Donald is playing superstar Aaron Donald football. Rams might get into the playoffs, and they've done the one thing they had to do. They've kept Matthew Stafford, for the most part, upright and free of injury. And this kid running back at Notre Dame, second-year guy, Kyron Williams, every Sunday, it's 100-plus yards on the ground. He's a power broker, physical running back. And then there's Cleveland. And Cleveland gets involved in this wild game at the end with with Chicago. Joe Flacco. Who needs practice? Who needs training (laughs) camp? Joe Joe Flacco, fourth-string Browns quarterback, signed a couple weeks ago, comes off the couch, and he's thrown for 374 yards this past Sunday. And he's led them. The Browns now have five come-from-behind wins. I mean, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with because they're kind of scary defensively, and Flacco's making them competitive. Think about this. Cleveland is sitting there first place or chasing down Baltimore in first place in the AFC North, one of the better teams in the entire AFC, and they're doing it without their starting quarterback and their star running back, Nick Chubb. That's absolutely amazing. So big weekend there. Uh, were you surprised Dallas got its doors blown off by Buffalo? Yeah, a, a bit. Yeah, I mean, I didn't expect it to be that big of a differential. But if you're a Buffalo fan, after getting beat by the Cowboys in the Super Bowl twice, this is a nice way to get a little payback, oh. right? You know, so they had something to prove. But the Cowboys are—they're not the same team on the road. No, I mean they're stomping people at AT and T in in Dallas Fort Worth, but on the road they were a little bit different. I was just surprised at the volume of pass rush and the whole blitz package at Buffalo threw at them right from the first possession. And Dak it was like Dak had no support. I mean he was under siege before he even got the snap of the ball. So maybe that's a one off. Thing got out of control, there's no doubt about that. 
Uh, luckily, Dak Prescott got out of the game, did not get hurt. Uh, but that was that was a stunner. And this is a Buffalo team that has had a lot of problems off the field. This Buffalo team defensively is not what it used to be, mm-hmm. at least for this past Sunday. That's who they used to be. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was an interesting game, but I want to comment just briefly on the uh, the um, the Rams, you know, and McVeigh. And you were talking about earlier. You were saying that McVeigh was coaching his guys up, that they were playing at a higher level than expectation. That's the exact opposite of Staley and the Chargers, oh, yeah. isn't it? Here's the playbook. <laughs> this is what we're going to run, and we're going to practice this Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it's blitz packages or or formation alignment, Rams don't screw it up. The Chargers, those guys are running open all day, all game long. Yeah. I mean, you you were commenting on Thursday night how the Chargers defensive backs were always a step behind. Yeah. You know, and, and it was it was just hopeless. But I, I, I kind of like the Joe Flacco story. I mean, you know, granted, I I thought the guy retired. I thought he was done. A lot of people thought he had to retire a couple of years ago. He played so poorly with the Jets. But that, again, is a veteran quarterback on a really bad team. Well, it's like weekend at Bernie's, man. They just roll this dude in and he's just got the smarts to make it happen. And you put him with that defense, you know, it might be like Trent Dilfer when he was uh, running the the Bucks back in the day. Okay. We go from NFL football, got a couple of college football notes. Yeah. So here we go. Pac-12 farewell tour. Yeah. Let's talk first of all about the court case involving the, the end of the era of Pac-12 football, the Conference of Champions. For those of you who are not aware, we got 10 schools It started with USC and UCLA leaving to go to the Big Ten, and then it got worse and worse in the TV contract negotiations, and suddenly Oregon and Washington were gone, and the rest of the bunch wound up going to the Big 12, Arizona State, Arizona, and then two at the last minute, Stanford and Cal went across the country to join the Atlantic Coast Conference. (laughs) So there's only two schools left, Oregon State, Washington State, in what was the Pac-12. Well, there's a huge amount of money in the vaults at the Pac-12 offices from all the rights fees and NCAA tournament unit money, etc. And there was a big debate, who controls that money? Mm. I was told it's like $600 million. That's how much is in the the vault. That's a lot. And Oregon State, Washington State stood up and said, we control it because there's a bylaw that's already in effect. If you exit our conference... You lose your seat on the board of directors, which means your school does not have a vote on any league business. And that was imposed when USC and UCLA announced early they were going to the Big Ten. And they stepped away. The chair was empty. So Washington State, Oregon State, the last two remaining members said, we're invoking that bylaw. Well, the University of Washington said, no, you're not. We're going to court. So they went to court and the judge ruled It's right there. Bylaw 6, I think it's called. You lose your seat on the board of directors because you're vacated your membership in the conference. Yeah. So Washington appealed it. Washington State Court of Appeals, Friday night, delivered an early Christmas present to Oregon State, Washington State. He sided with them. He turned down the appeal when the University of Washington was representing all the others. But he did issue kind of a sidebar part of the decision, which nobody's paid attention to. He told Oregon State, Washington State, you too have now the controlling powers for any business decisions. Now, you owe these other 10 members certain amounts of money for the 2024 season. You will deliver that money. But you get to keep all the other big-time assets from 
history. Mm-hmm. He also ruled you're taking over control, Washington State, Oregon State. You're also liable, since you're running the conference, to any litigation that's out there. And there's like four lawsuits right now that the old Pac-12 was involved in. Mm-hmm. So that's the end result, is the Pac-12 will be run by the Cougars and the Beavers, but they also inherit the court cases, the liability, et cetera. It'll be fascinating to see what they do with the commissioner. And obviously, they have a, a game plan to be a two-team conference for the next two years. The minute the Mountain West TV contracts expire after 2025, I think you'll see the Pac-2 dive in and take the ones they want because there'll be no exit fees then. Mm-hmm. The Aztecs and Wyoming and Fresno State, when the TV contract expires, there won't be exit fees. They can then leave the conference. So I, I think a couple of years from now when we're still doing this podcast, these schools are going to be joining Oregon State, Washington State. So that's that's one big story. The other story is, is the bowl games just started this past weekend. UCLA beat Boise State. The whole storylines involving bowl games are all these quarterbacks have vacated, gone into the transfer portal, and nobody's playing in the bowl games for their teams. UCLA did not have its star young freshman quarterback, Dante Moore. They played Boise State, whose quarterback jumped ship. He went to Arkansas last week. Anyhow, after the game, Chip Kelly was asked, farewell tour, Pac-12 conference, how do you view what's left behind? And he said, this is the saddest thing I've ever been part of. He said this conference should have never broken up. He said the 12 schools failed totally. That being said, UCLA is going to play in the Big Ten with Southern Cal. Good luck on all those bloody road trips. But he made a really interesting comment. He says, going forward, what I think should happen is a 64-team super conference. Would all be lumped together. Would all be a Power Five super conference. All the TV money from all the networks, which is driving all this relocation, all this TV money would go into a pot. We would all share it equally. One one conference wouldn't be getting sixty million per team. Another conference getting thirty one million. It all goes into a super conference pot, and we also control the NILs, and all that money gets paid to the players too, on an equal shared basis. I'd never quite heard that angle to how the next wave of what college football would look like, but that's what Chip Kelly said. So. You got Oregon State, you got Washington State to comment, you got Bruins and Chip Kelly. Wow, it's getting coughed up here, but um well, a couple of comments. First of all, I, I saw that clip uh, of, of Chip Kelly going through that plan. And I was like, hallelujah, you know, someone talking some common sense. The only part I didn't like is it still haves and have nots, you know, power five, group of five. You know, I kind of like to see some of that breakdown a bit so that, you know, there's because I always feel bad for San Diego State and a lot of these other group of fives that are pretty good programs that deserve a chance to move up. So maybe they do that with a relegation system like uh, Premier League. I don't think it'll be relegation, but um, let, let's be honest here. If this thing goes down the road the way we think it goes down, once the TV contracts expire for the Mountain West, all these schools become free agents. And then Oregon State, Washington State, and whoever's running the Pac-2 at that point can call San Diego and can call Boise and can call Fresno and call Laramie and say, you got the chance now to come join us. You're free. And now suddenly Pac-2 becomes maybe the Pac-8. Well, I, I think Oregon State, Washington State might want to make those phone calls 
more quickly than possible because they may need other partners to share the liabilities of the pack two going forward. So they're not holding, you know, 50% of the bag. You know, they might want to spread their risk around. Okay. So that's where we are in college football. Hey, we get to halftime. Before we move to halftime, I want to remind you uh, that our podcast, our Monday bonus podcast, our Thursday podcast, brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores, nine locations, been in business more than 100 years in San Diego. John, you got projects. I'm glad you know what you're doing because I have no clue about how to get <laughs> kitchen cabinets built and shelving for my garage. But you do, and so do the guys at Dixieland Lumber. Yeah, yeah, great guys there. They'll help you out. You know, they got that drive-through lumber yard. But you know, even during the holiday season, people just want to do a couple of little quick things before the family shows up. Maybe they want to paint a room. You know, maybe they want to, you know, just do get some new lighting in their house. So, you know, Dixieland Lumber is both like a hardware store, but it's also a lumber yard. It caters to the homeowner and to the contractor professional. Gift cards, gift cards. Oh, lots oh, of stocking stuffers. Yeah, lots of gift cards. Cards they've got, and you know, there's got a lot of other promotions depending on what you're buying. With especially with windows, if you're buying these big windows deals, they're throwing in gift cards to kind of spruce up the deal. Yeah, go to DixieLine.com, find out about all the special features. Dixie Line Lumber, guarantee it, build it, fix it, you will enjoy it. They will become your best friend in 2024. John, before we go to the second half of our Monday bonus podcast. Item one, explain fans form for all the people new on live stream. Item two, Hacksaw's Insiders Group. How do you get signed up to join our team? Okay, so yeah, you want to sign up for Hacksaw's Insiders Group, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Go in the upper right corner, there's an orange box. Put in your email there. You know, we're sending out the best 15. We did the one man's opinion went out last week, and we got a lot of cool ideas planned for 2024 to get you more involved in the podcast. And by the way, if you got a question or comment for Lee, look at this this lineup of names in the uh, fans forum. I see Bob and Pedro, Raul, Michael, John, um, gosh, I mean, who else is in there? ALN, Dave Dog, Michael, Paul. <laughs> Jeez, it's this list. It's John, Steve. I mean, the list is forever. We'll be here till Wednesday answering your questions, I'm sure. Yeah, so we're going to try to get as many of these folks in at, at, at uh, Fans Forum at the conclusion of Hacksaw's Headlines. And Hacksaw's Insiders Group, join us. A lot of unique things we're kind of kicking around for 2024. And if you like sports, check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. I write on it every day. There's no excuse for you not to be involved by checking out my website. We go from all things football, we're talking baseball, and I wish we could say something positive, but at this point in time, nah. Yeah, it just seems like every time we get a, a nugget of news, it's never positive with the Padres. So we are now headed to the third week of baseball free agency. The Padres have done virtually nothing aside from the Juan Soto trade. I have no problem with the deal they made. I have a problem, as we talked about in our podcast last week. I don't think they got the right guys in the trade from the list of blue chip guys that the Yankees had stockpiled on their 40-man roster. I think that's a problem. The other problem, and this is a bigger problem, and this has to do with money. It's like the Monopoly game. This has to do with the fact that they've been so far over the luxury tax limit three years in a row. They're going to get a bill in January for $38.9 million. That's how much they have to pay Major League Baseball for being over the luxury tax threshold three years in a row. That's why there is this big push 
that this payroll has to go from 253 down to 200. Now there is sentiment that they're going to take it lower. They might take it as low as $180 million. That's a hell of a decrease from 253 last year for that group of underachievers that, that we saw at Petco Park. That may be part and parcel why they have done nothing on the free agent front. There have been 41 pitchers who have changed teams since free agency started December 4th. 41. None of them come to San Diego yet. Yeah. Now, the two Japanese pitchers mm-hmm. are still out there. But Yamamoto is way beyond what they'd ever pay. And suddenly, Shoto Igamama is getting inflated offers, which means maybe they're not going to be in on him. And and they've lost so many of their support pitchers who have gone. Two of them to Kansas City, one to the Angels, one to Cincinnati. They have not have made no moves at all. And the fact there's forty one guys have already pitchers have already met changed teams, that's tough. And then we get into the other part of this whole syndrome. There's still guys out there that you can trade for. The Shane Biebers of the world. But the price tag is going to cost you one of your blue chip guys in the minor leagues. We want to do that again? Did we not <laughs> learn from the Juan Soto transaction or a whole bunch of other transactions that A.J. Preller's made? So this is not a good situation for the Padres, especially if the rumor mill is true that instead of going from 253 to 200 million, it may be more like 180 million because they owe Major League Baseball so much money. So. They they got they got work to do. Granted, baseball season doesn't start a week from Friday, but they got holes. They might have the worst pitching staff right now in the National League West because you got two of them coming off health issues: you Darvish and Joe Musgrove, mm-hmm. and you've lost all the other guys. Kansas City took both Michael Waka and Seth Lugo and gave them what was in the Padre contract, $16 million per year. Mm-hmm. Now, those guys are going to be at the front end of the Kansas City rotation. They were at the back end of the Padre rotation. But the Padres lose two starters who pitch pretty well at the price they decided they didn't want to pay. And those guys get that price somewhere else to go pitch in a bad team at Royal Stadium. So I'm concerned. I'm alarmed. I don't know how they're going to get out of this financial box that A.J. Preller put them in. Doesn't it feel like... You know, the previous two or so years, Seidler, you know, just wanted to win. And he was willing to kind of look the other way on rational business practices and just put all of his chips on the table. Sadly, he's no longer with us. And now I think the business people are making business decisions. Now, going from 253 to 200, even down to 180 sounds awful. But in the history of the Padres, 180 is a hell of a lot. Yeah, but that money's all tied up in four or five players. Exactly. And there's no other way to get increased money to go get what's left out there on the marquee front. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're in a bad, bad spot right now. So, you know, maybe, I mean, gosh, wouldn't it be great to have Mackenzie Gore right now? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of other players that we dealt Soto away for. It'd be nice to have. But, uh, yeah, they're going to have to depend on young kids. I mean, they're going to really need 
to have a blend, you know, of veterans, you know, high price guys and up and coming young guys. So hopefully they're going to bring up Snelling. You know, there's a couple of other hitters, you know, what's the kid that was a shortstop and then he was out playing in the outfield. Who's a really good hitter. He was like in double A, I think. So there's a few of those guys that have a shot to make it too. Well, Snelling is at double A, but he's young double A. He's not ready for the major leagues. Maybe in July. Yeah. They'll give him the kick at the can. Drew Thorpe, who was a really bright young pitcher, was 14-2 and two for the Yankees in Class A, came in the Soto trade. But he's at least two years away. And he's not a power pitcher. He's more of a finesse guy. So he's a back-of-the-rotation guy. I th- would have thought by now, A.J. would have jumped into the market and signed some guys to one-year free agent contracts, veteran pitchers, because he's done it in the past. He's found guys. He hasn't done that. Padres have signed 10 minor league free agents. Not one of them is an established guy that you can say, okay, he can be my fifth starter or he can be one of my setup. Not one of them. They're all journeyman guys that have been with six different clubs. Yeah. I'm kind of stunned at that. And yes, there are there's potential to make trades. But again, if, if you think you're going to go get Shane Bieber from Cleveland, who's going to be moved, you're going to have to give up Something significant, and that means are we going to take one of the pitchers at Double A that might be the future from now? Yeah, it's to me, it's just a bad combination. This whole monopoly game thing is the credit card bill has come due. Yeah, it well, really has. No, no doubt about it. But you know, what about Trevor Bauer? You still think he well, maybe Bauer is out there? Julio Rios is out there yeah. somewhere. The district attorney's office is going to make a decision, I would assume, within the next month about whether they charge Urias with domestic abuse. So, I don't know. You're asking me to talk about the moral responsibility of running a team. (laughs) But Trevor Bauer is a proven commodity. Bad citizen and all, he's a proven commodity, despite his bad decisions that he's made in his personal life. Granted, never been arrested, never been charged, but... I mean, you shake his hand, you feel like you got to go wash your hands. Yeah, yeah, you do. That's a tricky one. But I think right now, our center fielder is Jose Azokar. Nice. I mean, who's playing left field? You know, we we're talking about giving Cronenworth a glove. But they, yeah, I and mean, maybe Pedro Avila is going to be in the starting rotation. I mean, we have to dig deep to make this work. So, yeah, they're in a world of hurt right now. Okay, we go from those guys struggling with decisions to these guys who just continue to do business the way they do it. It's called the Dodger way to the other guys who've really taken a step back. Let's talk Dodgers very quickly. They get the Otani deal done. Otani on Friday met with Yash Yamamoto, the Japanese free agent, who's the next big name that's coming off the board. The Dodgers... The Yankees and the Mets seem to be the finalist. Otani was at Dodger Stadium on Friday with Yamamoto and his people. And, of course, the Dodgers traded for Tyler Glasnow from Tampa Bay, paid a bit of a price, restructured the contract. They get a 30-year-old guy now that they're going to own for the next five years. And there's 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 a wild rumor beneath the table that they're going to dive in and talk to Blake Snell. Now, that'd be a shocker. But that's where the Dodgers are. The Dodgers look really good. They've accomplished a lot. The Angels, as every week we go through something with the halos, it's got a bad tinge colored into it. This conversation, Perry Manazian, the general manager, the day after Otani left to go to the Dodgers, saluted Otani for what he contributed here, how popular he was. Manazian said, Life goes on. 
You got to be kidding me. You're trying to tell Angel fans everything's okay. Buy your season tickets. We'll be there opening day and life goes on. Now, life is never the same when you lose an icon like Otani. And they've done nothing except pick up fringe one-year rental free agents. As much as I like what Luis Garcia did for the Padres for his year and a half, although he had some arm problems, I mean, if you're trying to sales pitch Angel fan in Orange County that Luis Garcia is going to put you back in the pennant race <laughs> or or – he was a disaster for a while last well, year. He was he was coming off injury. Yeah. But they got I think they've got four or five one year free agent pitchers. Adam Kolarik, who had been with the Dodgers for a cup of coffee, oh, and Luis Garcia. Just and here's the general manager of the Angels, because the owner no longer has the courage to be out front. The GM says, Life goes on. You gotta be kidding me. Look at this roster. Maybe maybe it's correct to say they have the right name of the franchise, Los Angeles Angels, Pacific Coast League, Los Angeles Angels, back in the day, because <laughs> they they got a real substandard roster right now. So you're wearing Dodger blue, or you're going to treat the guys wearing angel red? Yeah, well, the, yeah, the Angels, the Los Angeles Angels would be the Angels Angels. Um, it, it's, it's weird how these teams, they pick up. Um, you know, these fringe guys. And it seems like the Angels are just filling holes to build a roster. Meanwhile, Preller is getting these dudes just almost like lotto tickets. But then the Dodgers, man, they come in, they're bold, they're decisive, they have a strategy, they make it happen. And you just got to applaud that. Now, granted, they got a lot of money, but it's just a well-run organization. The Dodger way. The Dodger way. I mean, I, and I, it just kills me to say that, being raised a Giants fan and now a Padre fan for the last 30 years. But you got to tip a hat to those guys. So now we'll see what happens next. I mean, because the, the Dodgers still, a lot of question marks with their pitching staff. I mean, they got Glassnow, but they're still, you know, they got to depend on those young guys. We're going to see how that whole thing plans out. But I think if you're a Dodger fan, you'd be happy because as they sit there on opening day, you got Otani and 44 home runs, and you got a frontline starter in Glassnow. And we know that these guys coming off surgery are going to be back by June 1st, and we know they've still got five young pitchers. They've only traded one. Ryan Pepio mm-hmm. went to Tampa in that transaction. So still deals to be made. One other baseball note. This is really strange on the Sun Coast. Yeah, about the Rays and this battle over the stadium. Tampa and St. Petersburg have been working to come up with the funding for a stadium for the Tampa Bay Rays. Tremendous young franchise, well-run, historically has developed tremendous players in the farm system, kept some, traded others. Fans still haven't come out because of where that dome was, Tropicana Field. They're going to build a brand new stadium, $1.3 billion as part of a $6 billion uh, entertainment district across the bridge in St. Petersburg. Well, on Friday... The mayor of St. Petersburg and the executives of city council went public and saying, we have a problem. We don't want the franchise called the Tampa Bay Rays. Hmm. The stadium is in St. Petersburg. We're contributing more than half of the funding for the stadium. The stadium is in St. Petersburg. We want the name changed. And Tampa Bay's president promptly stood up. Why he would do this is beyond me. If you try to change our name, stadium deals off. 
Wow. We're not going to build a stadium. We're not going to pay our share to build the stadium. So now they're gone to the commissioner. Rob Manfred's in a tough situation. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, it's a regional franchise under the name Tampa Bay. Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning, Tampa Bay-based. Team's going to be across the bridge in St. Petersburg. And they're screaming at each other and threatening each other. We're going to fold it. Well, nobody wins if if the Rays back out of funding the new stadium. They're back in the same mess they've been in since they've been there. Bad old stadium looks like a contractor's erector set. It's a terrible place. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's just a disaster. So why would you say, you know, if you try to force this on you, we're going to pull out of the deal? Well, you're screwing yourself. Here's a solution. Go to Rob Manfred. It doesn't have to be Tampa Bay. doesn't have to be St. Pete. Call it the Suncoast Rays because that's what the region is. It's the Suncoast on the west side of Florida. Yeah, not bad. You can keep the logo. You keep the name. Everybody knows it's the Rays. It's the Suncoast representing Tampa Bay and St. Petersburg. So if you were a commissioner, how are you going to solve this problem? Yeah, why would if I were commissioner, I'd take a very different approach. Because I, I still question whether or not that metropolitan area can support a major league team. Because Miami doesn't draw, the Rays don't draw, and you can build a sexy new stadium, and it still may not draw, even when they have a really good franchise. But this whole battle over the name, it seems like little brother syndrome, you know, St. Petersburg wanting to get a little bit of, of a boost in their in their brand image. I, I mean, if I were commissioner, I would say, okay, which city in America was go- is going to build a stadium? Portland, Montreal, Nashville, this is your chance. Yeah, and Stuart Sternberg, the owner, who's done a great job as an owner of a small market team with his baseball side developing all these really good young players, He, I don't think he wants to leave the Suncoast. Hmm? Just call it the Suncoast Rays. My goodness. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Okay, we go from that. We got NBA basketball to talk about. Yeah, the, the this whole thing with Draymond is bananas, and now there's news on John Morant. Okay, Draymond Green has been suspended indefinitely. Those of you who saw the video of him flail a Phoenix Suns center with a forearm, it, it sure looked like it was intentional. And he's got such a bad history of violent acts. He's one of the NBA's bad boys. He's screwing himself, I think, because he's towards the end of his career. He can still play. There's no doubt about that for Golden State. But he's screwing himself as to what his post-career is going to be. Well, maybe that's not true because Charles Barkley's a loudmouth on television and Draymond Green's a loudmouth, so maybe he's not screwing his TV career. But they got a real problem with him, and, and now the league has suspended him indefinitely. Um, he's, he's losing massive amounts in game checks. Um, he is, he's never apologized for the junk that he's done on the floor. I mean, this the flagrant forearm hit the Phoenix Suns guy in the neck and was a real brute force hit. And, of course, you know, last year he, he punched one of his teammates in the face in practice. The whole world has seen okay. what he did to Jordan Poole. And it just – he runs up these bills with technical fouls and ejections, and he's out of control. Steve Kerr said Sunday, we're not punishing him. We're going to try to get him some help. Yeah. They want him back. But is he beyond help? Because it just – emotionally, it's like he's eroded to the point he's almost like a thug – Waiting for the next incident to happen. So they got the Golden State thing. John Morant comes off the 20-game suspension for the gun incidents and all the off-court stuff in Memphis. Memphis is a disaster this season because of his suspension and obviously loss of a couple other players for big injuries. John Morant finally meets with the media over the weekend 
and he doesn't apologize. All he said was, these are the hardest days of my life. I've gone through this. I'm trying to learn from this. As he doesn't apologize. And nobody in the media, I mean, if you're going to go to a press conference, John, you're going to ask the pertinent question. <clears throat> if I were sitting there, I'm asked the question. We know your track record. We know how you got yourself in trouble multiple times with guns. John Morant, are you going to separate yourself from your posse? Because your posse seems to be part of the problem with your decision making. Mm-hmm. Nobody asked that question. So he comes back. He'll, he will play Tuesday night, and he will try to salvage their season. He's trying to salvage his reputation. He's gone through counseling. Hey, he's saying all the right things. But he said all this before when he was suspended last year by Adam Silver, the commissioner. So you're going to solve Draymond Green, and what do you tell Jean Morant? Well, the, the Draymond Green thing, it's one thing to be a loudmouth, and it's even another thing to be kind of a hothead to get in fights. But Green is way over that line. I, to me, he has personal, you know, psychological issues. It's, anger management. Well, but it's not just the anger management. That's just how it, he he reacts to it. I think he has self-esteem issues because if you don't feel confident in yourself, then any threat to you, you want to fight back. So I, I think, yeah, he has some serious homework to do with a therapist. Um, and then as it pertains to John Morant, I just want him to be the star that he was meant to be because he's so dynamic. He's a great, a lot of fun to watch. I just want to see him get back on track and get his life back on track. Okay. We go from that. Speaking of controversy, you're a golf fan. This thing's not solved yet. Uh, we're talking about the negotiations, PGA tour, the Saudi super league, the LIV golf, They face a December 31st deadline for this proposed merger. We've already seen one great player jump, John Rahm, going to LIV for $450 million. Um, The PGA Tour maintains they are going to continue to work through through the merger issues here. Now we got another player in this whole conversation. This hasn't gotten an awful lot of ink. We know the Saudi PIF fund has proposed putting $3 billion into a merger pool to join the PGA. PGA would control all the golf tournaments globally, but the Saudi side would run the tournaments in Europe under the PGA banner and would market the game globally. That's why they're $3 billion. Now, the Fenway Sports Group, which is based out of Boston, mm-hmm. Red Sox Fenway Park, they're involved in a lot of sports investments. They've proposed joining the PGA and LIV, and they would put $3 billion into the pro golf thing, and they want to run the marketing in the States. Oh. So suddenly, the PGA, which looked like it was on its deathbed because of all these players who jumped, suddenly might have $7 billion coming in the front door, and they'd have two corporate people, Fenway and the Saudis, globally marketing the sport. It's It's complicated. I don't know how far down the road they are in terms of dotting the I's, crossing the T's, and then signing on the last page. But this this has kind of come out of nowhere. Suddenly, it's a $7 billion investment to save pro golf globally. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting idea. Now, because I remember you were saying how the PGA was running out of money. The leadership was going sideways. And you're thinking, this is a jewel in American sports. How could they be really almost going under? LIV saw, you know, like some low-hanging fruit there. But it's nice to see Fenway step in. I I think this is interesting because there's so much, I guess, uh, history that Americans have with a lot of the golf tournaments in the United States. It'd be a shame to see that kind of all get blown up. 
Well, you got the Masters and you got the British Open and you've obviously got the Grand Slam events, which are the marquee, marquee events. They say December 31st is the deadline. Of course, you put erasers on pencils. You can always change that, that <laughs> end date. Okay, we go from there. To what are you watching on TV, John? Yeah. I mean, this is funny. If you're talking about Fox and ESPN, this is kind of the battle of these talk shows. Well, you know, they keep changing people. So we've got ESPN's morning show led by Stephen A. Smith with Shannon Sharp, who jumped in. Mm-hmm. Across the street, you got FS1, Fox Sports, Skip Bayless, and a host of co-hosts, the latest Keyshawn Johnson, among others. Well, they've been at it for almost a year. And Stephen A. Smith, loudmouth, with Shannon Sharp, who's really loud. All the tight ends in my life are all loud. Everybody I know is loud. <laughs> Those two guys are killing Fox Sports and Skip Bayless. It's yeah. amazing. TV ratings just came out, I think, for the last four months. And Stephen A. Smith and Shannon Sharp, when they're not yelling, have 535 million viewers each day. 535. Skip Bayless, FS1, has 105. That's not very good. No, not at all. I mean, and, you know, I've often wondered how Skip Bayless still has his job because he always strikes me as kind of a weenie. But I think he is like an executive producer and he's got other management roles in his show. And I think that's why he's always been hanging around. Now, I like Stephen A. I mean, to me, Stephen A is entertaining as hell. And Shannon Sharp, I think, has done a really good job since he's come off the field. They just have more. What's the right word? Just more credibility, you know, just a little more schutzpah than, than those other guys. They're that, loud. They're loud, but they're fun and loud. <laughs> you know, just like you. <laughs> By the way, I just made a mistake. It's 535,000 viewers each day. 535, not 535 million. Yeah, that would be like more than the United States population. Yep. But doesn't that still seem kind of low? You know, uh, I mean, that's 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 pretty good number. Five hundred thirty five thousand for early morning for early the, morning. The I mean, how guys, many game? How many viewers does an NFL game get? Uh, they're in the millions. Yeah, oh, yeah. Twenty eight million or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's five hundred thirty five thousand for Stephen A. Smith and Shannon Sharp, Skip Bayless and his team. Hundred five thousand. That's not very good. <laughs> OK. Hey. Before we jump into fans form, just a reminder, if you like what we're doing, want you to subscribe so you'll get all the alerts every time we put something up on the YouTube channel, which we do a lot. Want you to go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com, read what I write every day. You'll be the second most informed person on the planet, aside from the guy that writes the website, uh, and invite you to share and subscribe and tell everybody what we're doing. And don't forget... Fans form at the end of each show, your chance to participate, and we want you to join Hacksaw's Insiders Group. we got some kind of screwball things we're going to announce going in to 2024. John, ready, set, go. Fans form. Fans form. All right, here, let's get Paul involved. He says, Hacksaw, you are so wrong. Staley should not have been hired. Hot coordinator. Uh, These guys get hired every January and February. Um, I don't know that he sold them a bill of bad goods because they they were really stymied by the injury factor. And that, that killed them three straight seasons. But that being said, the stories that are coming out about the playbook being way too complicated, the young guys just not able to cope with it, that bears fruit when you look at how badly they play week by week by week. 
31st in defense, 32nd in pass defense, blown coverages. So Staley was a hot guy at the time he was hired, but there's a lot of hot guys. Some succeed, others fail. Yeah, well, you were talking about how he's a bright light, and yeah. we've mentioned a lot of other bright lights, but that doesn't mean you're a leader of men. That doesn't mean that you can rally the troops like General Patton and like, <laughs> you know, Blitzkrieg or whatever you need to do. So um, it, it just, and also Staley, he's just not a, a big tough guy. He's not like Dan Campbell, you know, for the Detroit Lions. Screaming and yelling. Yeah. So you just kind of wonder if the players really look at Staley and thought, yeah, he's one of us. As opposed to like, you know, just some uh, nerd with a computer and, and a pencil and a paper. So this will be interesting. We could ask Paul next time, do you hire a guy getting a second chance? But how do you defend that second chance or is he a retread? It's tough call. It yeah. is a really, really tough call. Move on. Moving on. Okay, here, let's go to Al. And he says the Chargers will be successful when they learn to run the ball more than throwing the ball. Chargers have too many injuries, Hacksaw, because they don't use their legs and shoulders when run blocking. Well, the offensive line to me has been a huge disappointment because they spent a lot of high draft picks to develop these guys. And this season... Aside from the loss of the center, Corey Lindsley with a heart issue, their other four starters have been there every snap, and that line has not played well, and they have not run block, and and this year they did not protect Justin Herbert. He has taken a lot of sacks and more hits than than he had taken his prior couple of years. So it's a big difference, Uh, but... Is it teaching? Is it technique? Is it is it the blocking assignments? It's hard for me to believe that they can't run the football when you got somebody as dynamic as Austin Eckler. But the offensive line is as big a disappointment as the mess on the defensive side of the football. Well, yeah, you can maybe fix how they tackle, but you you can't fix you know, going for it on fourth and one on your own 30 in the fourth quarter. You know, some of the bonehead decisions that Staley made. So I'm glad he's gone. Let's get another guy in there. You know who was a bright light that was actually pretty good is turning out to be a great coach is D'Amico Ryans down in Houston. I mean, they have a shot to make the playoffs. Yeah, and the guy in Philadelphia, he was a hot coordinator. Nick Sirianni, look Mm -hmm. what he's done over two plus years with the Eagles. You know, Matt LaFleur, he walked into Green Bay. Of course, he did have Aaron Rodgers. But the thing was going sideways. They fixed that thing. I think at one point they were 33 and 16 before nice. Aaron Rodgers vacated. So you can hit the jackpot with hot coordinators, but Chargers? Nah. <laughs> Haven't seen that lately, have we? Well, here's another comment about who the Chargers should get. This is from Michael. He says, Bolt should also consider Jason Garrett, who helped Kellen Moore. That's a really good call because he's a really intellectual guy. Uh, and, you know, he managed the affairs. Dallas is a very hard place because of who the owner is, and the owner thinks he knows everything about football. I thought Jason Garrett did a good job. Uh, he's a Princeton guy. He's really a smart dude. I th- but now he's a TV guy. And on Monday morning, he can wake up and not have to worry about my right tackle getting hurt or why can't I run the football, or, my God, the media is crushing us again. Mondays for a guy who's gone from the sidelines as a coach to the TV booth looks and feels really different. So that that's not a bad call. If he wants to get back in it, I don't know whether or not he does. Kellen Moore, the shamrock's kind of fallen off his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Now they're looking at him and saying, your play calls sure didn't work. But then... Kellen Moore's victimized because his quarterback's been hurt trying to play through the finger injuries. And Kellen Moore gets victimized because the offensive line is 
to me, has been a massive disappointment. And Kellen Moore gets dinged because there is no Mike Williams. And But he controls what they're calling. You know, they should be targeting and throwing to Quentin Johnston five to ten times per game. Oh, yeah. Now, Quentin Johnston's got to catch all those balls and not drop them. But, they, you know, Josh Palmer was hurt. So, I mean, Kellen Moore is not as flashy right now. His name was in neon lights a year ago this time. Those lights have been dimmed down for a wide variety of reasons. Was Kellen Moore offered the interim head coach job? I don't think he was ever considered for it. Really? But see, at the end of the day, doesn't mean a hill of beans. They're going to fire all those people. No, I think Kellen Moore's on a multi-year contract. Maybe he stays because he is linked uh, to Justin Herbert. But the re- I think the rest of those guys will be filing applications to his podcast with you and me next year. <laughs> next That's question. Right. Okay. Let's uh, let's go to Javier. He says, Padres having flashbacks of 2015. Oh, I, this is just really tough. I, I hate to use the word fire sale, but they spent so wildly over the last couple of years and what they allowed Preller to do. And, you know, they were barking at the media last last year when the national media and those of us here used the word sustainability. Is this sustainable? Are you spending this amount of money in a market that's only $3.5 million? You know, the fans did their job. The fans responded. We drew $3.2 million. Uh, all-time record revenue coming in the front door for the Padres. Fans held up their end of the bargain. Those underachievers in that dugout and that batting order surely did not. Now you got a bunch of guys hurt, and now the owner passes away, and they have to roll this back. Because of the luxury tax that, I mean, they owe baseball almost $40 million on January 21st. That's when the check is going to be delivered. So I'm not going to use fire sale. I'll throw another couple words out there that is probably going to really upset some people. I just, I hate to think that the Padres would have created a bait-and-switch situation with season ticket holders. No, no. They push the hell at the end of the season, into the fall— Buy your season tickets now for next year. By the way, the ticket prices have gone up again. Buy your season tickets. And they knew that there was going to be a rollback, and they knew there'd be probably a pairing of the roster. And that that sure looks like bait and switch to me that John Riley, season ticket check in the mail, September 1st, John Riley, do it. And all in the back of their mind, they know they got this luxury tax bill has to be paid, credit card bill comes due. And they know there's the Soto-Scott-Boris crisis is out there and probably not solvable. And bait and switch. Ah, that's, 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 a, that's a reach, I think. But do you think if the Bally's deal didn't go south that the model would be sustainable? Probably. But it went south. And they, baseball knew that the regional sports networks were on the brink of going down the drain. And the Padres were the first ones. And the Padres gave their flag to the commissioner's office and said, we'll be the first one for the streaming plan. That That's what baseball did. They spent all offseason preparing if this thing happened. And that thing happened. And the Padres got most of their $60 million, but That was a one-time payoff. Mm. It's a different set of numbers this year. And now there's, I think there's 11 other baseball teams that are facing the same calamity. And, of course— I give credit to Manfred and all the vice presidents he hired to come in the front door and create uh, this this template of how they're going to operate streaming. At one point, I think I had mentioned to you way back, just as this Padres thing was unraveling, baseball had what they called Team 30. They wanted to take control 
of the streaming of all 30 baseball teams. Uh, that's why it was called Team 30. And then suddenly the Red Sox stood up and said, no, we have Nesson Network. We're making enormous yeah. amounts of money. Yeah. And the Yankees had SNY and the Mets and and, and Dodgers and, and Sports mm-hmm. Vision. We're not giving our rights back to you. So the whole Team 30 thing kind of got put to the side. But right now there's 11 teams. But to answer your question, yeah, I think the the, the blow of the loss of 60 million, that's huge. Because they had backloaded a bunch of these contracts to be paid based on the fact they were going to get $60 million five years from now or 10 years from now. Uh, so that's where they got – it's one of the monopoly dollar problems they got. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> – yeah, the, the bookkeepers there, they're going to be crunching numbers all off season. <laughs> hey, let's go here to John Lynch. I don't know if this is the John Lynch senior or junior here, but he says, if Seidler family is tight for cash, they should sell the Padres for $3 billion. A multi-billionaire can come in and compete with a $250 million payroll and continue filling Petco. If the perceived fire sale comes to fruition, Padres will lose 1.5 million fans in 2024. Well, John, I don't think the fire sale is going to happen because they can't get rid of the contracts they've given out. They've got five hefty contracts, you know, from Machado to Tatis to what they gave Cronenworth, what they've given the pitchers. Nobody's going to take those contracts. You know, and the Padres Padres moved Matt Carpenter to Atlanta last week, and they had to pay a million five-plus Ray Kerr to get the Braves to take him. The Braves just re- ate the contract. Braves just released Matt Carpenter. So any, any transaction, say if you wanted to move Machado, who's got great marketability, they'd have to pay a chunk of that contract. So Now, they're in a situation they can't get out of at this point in time. By the way, you know a lot of people. You got Jeff Bezos' phone number? <laughs> Padres sell him. To, so I, the Silo family says they're going to own it. They're going to run it a little bit differently. I understand that. They're fine people. I mean, I obviously knew Peter extensively, and I've gotten to know Tom Seidler a lot, a lot better uh, since Peter's illness came back. You know, I've communicated. But it's not for sale. But they're going to have a problem. They're going to have a problem if it's not a very good team, if they can't find pitching. It's not going to be the same team, and they won't draw $3.2 million a year from now if this turns out to be the bit of a down cycle roster because they can't afford to go get other guys. And that's, sorry, that's on the guy that grew up in the next town over from me on Long Island. That's on A.J. Preller. He did this. Yeah, I mean, they're they're in a pickle. But, you know, $180 million payroll it's still a lot. It's it's a lot more than the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah, but went spin to the World's- back. Yeah. That 180 is tied up with five players. <laughs> with five guys. Yeah, right. So, yeah, it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Let's get another question. This is from Pedro, and he threw in 10 bucks to support the Lee Hacksaw Hamilton podcast. Hey, according to Otani's contract, which GM lasts 10 years? Asking for Padre fans if Dodgers win regular season championship but melt down come playoffs, hopeful thinking Otani opts out sooner than later. Well, it's not the manager. It's it's strictly Andrew Friedman or it's the head of Guggenheim that owns the team, Mark Walter. But those guys aren't going anywhere. Those are baseball lifers, and I think they'll stay there. It's got nothing nothing to do whatsoever with whether Dave Roberts is a manager going forward. Uh, Otani's there. And John and I had talked, he spilled his coffee on the table one day. We were just talking about the importance of Otani and what was important to Otani. And I think it was it was culture. I think it was continuity. Uh, and and it, there was a complacency with him in Southern California. 
You know, he's a recluse. The Angels allowed him, and the Dodgers are going to allow him the same structure as to when he's available to the media, when he does things for the club and the community. He has this little spot in which he says, I'm available here, and that's my window, and I'm not doing anything else. You know, he had gone to New York. He'd gone to Boston. You know what the fishbowl is? You know what the media is? You know what the energy on Times Square is? New York and Boston are so different in terms of venues. He didn't want that. So he he chose complacency. He chose the culture. He chose the community. And Southern California, Los Angeles, and, and Orange County offer him something that he's very comfortable with. Well, do you think that he might be injured again? I mean, as a hitter, can you imagine him going on the disabled list? No pitching, no hitting. I mean, that could happen, right? You're just peeved that he didn't choose the Giants. Well, did, yes, yeah, I okay. am, actually. But but I, I still think the Dodgers, everyone's kind of praising this deal. And, you know, to Otani's credit, he negotiated these things, you know, like if the GM leaves, he can opt out. But in the end, I, I don't know if they're going to get that much productivity out of him because it's still a question mark if he's going to pitch. But he was hurt last year. He still hit 44 home runs and he hit, what, 290. And when he pitched, he had a 3.14 ERA. Now, he'll he'll rehab this year. And one of the reasons he chose the Dodgers, aside from all those things I said that began with the letter C, was their history and track record of rehabbing guys coming off elbow surgery. And they have a very good track record. Mm. So, you know, I'm not looking at it and saying, geez, he's never going to pitch again. And they're paying him all this money, he's never going to pitch again. We don't know that for sure, but he does have a history of coming back, and Dodger pitchers coming off the surgery have a history of coming back. And dude did hit 44 home runs batting 290. Don't you wish you had that in the middle of that giant lineup? Yeah. Well, you know, so do the Padres wish they had it, and they just traded him to the Yankees. Hey, let's get Angel in here. And he says, Undisputed is practically the Skip Bayless and Friends show. First take, at least with a loudmouth Stephen A., he knows what he's talking about. Unlike Skip Bayless, who wants to have everybody, what's that word say? You know, I don't even know. What, what is that word? Swarby about him? It, Skip Bayless has a got a, a different ego, uh, but Stephen A. Smith has ego, and he's done really well venturing from the newspaper side to the TV side. I don't think Stephen A. is long for that show. I think Stephen A. wants a late-night TV show, move over Jamie Kimmel and all those guys. Ah. I think SAS is going to wind up going across the street and doing an entertainment-type show. But they've, they've hit on something. And Shannon Sharp, you know, it's like the old days at 690. And we've talked about this before. In the old days at 690, what made 690 great? The uniqueness of the personalities who mesh together. And I'll go back to the loose cannons. Right. Steve Hartman, Chet Forty, Steve Hartman, Philly Billy Werndale. That's what SAS and Shannon Sharp are. Clash, clash, loud, mm-hmm. just verbose. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's magic. It's magic TV for a short period of time until Stephen A. wakes up one day and says, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, I mean, how much is Stephen A. getting paid? Seven mil, I believe. Seven mil. Yeah, just just a bit shy of what I made. Yeah, yeah, my ass. <laughs> so it, it it's interesting. They've they've hit on a chemistry like we hit on a chemistry at the old legendary extra six ninety, yeah. dynamic talk show guys. It's not there forever, so enjoy it while it's there. And I agree with you, Bayless. I I can't watch those guys. I just. They bring nothing to the table for me. I don't watch any of the guys. I know everything there is in sports. I don't need to have guys yelling at me at 8 o'clock in the morning right. about 
their opinions about something I already know about, and I already have my opinions set in cement. <laughs> Sorry to be inflexible. A couple more here. Okay, let's uh, let's go here to Michael. He says, I have wondered why the NBA has, has, has not already put a lifetime ban on Draymond. Well, he's never hurt anybody. He's come close. But who he has hurt is Golden State. That's not the same franchise anymore. I mean, there's a lot of age and injury. It's crept up on them. And Steph Curry's had two catastrophic injuries. Clay Thompson's had two catastrophic injuries. Draymond's been in and out with injuries. Now Draymond keeps getting himself suspended. So he has not sucker punched somebody and badly hurt somebody. But he's really hurt Golden State. And they're on the hook for $25 million a year for the next two years with this guy. So they got to control him. But... I look at him now, and it just—it's like I'm waiting for him to go off again. And and obviously Steve Kerr can't control him because Draymond's his own guy, and Draymond's going to do what Draymond wants to do. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Didn't he punch LeBron in the balls one time? Yeah. And then he ended up getting kicked out of that game, and then the Warriors lost that final. I remember that. Draymond should have a, a TV career, right? When this is all no, said, I guess and done. so. Yeah, they hire anybody. Yeah, it's a good TV. Look yeah, at the 500 channels on your TV. You think that's good stuff? No, but they'll put them on the air. <laughs> they will put them on the air. But you know, the Warriors—it just you can feel it's the end of an era, right? Yeah. It's all slipping away as they're getting older, and their idiosyncrasies are really just becoming a problem. Yeah, exactly. And Steve Kerr will be filing to work on our podcast probably within a year or two because <laughs> he may wake up one morning and say, "No mas, no more of this." No mas. Okay, let's let's see who else we can get involved here. And uh, oh yeah, yeah, Pedro. Rosario says it was Jackson Merrill. That's the name I was thinking yep. about. That's one of the young kids for the Padres that could actually make the roster and be a productive player. Yeah, you know, this is all part of moving parts on the chessboard. Uh, they're shopping Cronenworth, but nobody wants a seven-year contract worth $75 million for a guy who's had two straight bad seasons. Baseball's kind of figured him out yeah. in terms of holes in his swing. He had 229 last year. You know, does it help the Padres to move him off the roster if they have to pay money for somebody to take Jake? Now, maybe get a pitcher back. I don't know. But the alternative is, here's your left field glove. Go play left field. He yeah. can play anywhere. He's he's really good at that. He made himself a pretty repu- reputable first baseman. And then maybe Jackson Merrill flips and becomes a center fielder. Yeah. Or maybe he's a shortstop. Maybe Hassan Kim once they sign him to an extension, he goes to center. So they're not void of moving parts. And Merrill is the next one knocking at the door. But, you know, Ethan Salas is 17-year-old catcher. He's years down the road. And Campusano now has to prove behind the plate that he can do this for 140 games to be the guy and and hit like he hit last year rather than hit 180. So they got they I think they have enough everyday players moving parts although I I think they got a vacancy at first base. But you know there's ways to change that if Machado can't be the third baseman he was because of the elbow you make him a first baseman. Mm-hmm. There's ways to move some parts around and at the at the end of free agency if Garrett Cooper, the Miami Marlin, is still there on the or Tampa Bay Ray is still back on the open market, you go bring him back for a minimum veterans contract. And you'd be glad to have a job because he doesn't do this damn podcast with you. So <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's just a lot of unique things that can happen from a eight man roster front. But this pitching thing is is a nightmare. Holy cow, they just they don't have enough arms. Yeah, it's a trouble. I mean, the pitching staff is big trouble, but. 
For me, long term, I, I see Bogarts going to first at some point. Could be. You know, I, I heard some people say that when he signed the deal, he was promised shortstop the first year. Or second base. He can play that position, too. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, Cronenworth at first, remember when he first took over for Hosmer and he when Hosmer was hurt? And everyone's like, oh, Cronenworth, the throw-in and the Tommy Pham trade has turned out to be great. And now the, all that luster is worn off. My guess is, is that if he were playing short or, or second Cronenworth— he'd be a lot more comfortable because that's kind of who he is. I thought he did an admirable job as an undersized first baseman. And I think he'd, he'd be okay in left field. I, but somebody's going to have to play center field as bad as Grisham hit. Grisham went and chased everything down in center. <laughs> so they have moving parts. They have well, places. Cronenworth could be the closer. No. Now, he was the closer in Michigan. You're not supposed to drink before you do this podcast, John. <laughs> He's going to be like Otani, but a closer, right? Uh, we'll see where it goes. Hey, one more here before we uh, put the lid on this one. Okay, here we go. Let's uh, let's go back here to Al. He says, quarterbacks don't get hurt handing off the running backs. Run the ball. Buffalo and Baltimore did it on Sunday. Well, you got to be able to run block, and that's an issue if he's making reference to the Chargers. Uh, not an issue with the Rams. Holy cow. Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame has just been spectacular. He missed all of last year with an injury very early in the season. And I thought, you know, he was a heavy-duty guy with the Irish. I said, well, how's he going to hold up this year? He has been heavy-duty, heavy-duty since he got back in the lineup. And what, what McVeigh has done with the quarterback, with the running back, with the myriad of wide receivers, that's a pretty prolific offense that McVeigh's been able to rebuild it. And I keep going to mailbox every day. I'm waiting for some message on Ram's letterhead <laughs> from Sean McVeigh. He says, dumbass, we're not going to finish 4-13. and Yeah, he could have called you out for sure. But we were wondering what they were going to do. But, you know, talking about running backs, I mean, what about Christian McCaffrey? I mean, what a year he's having. What a stud. It really is. And and I enjoy watching the post-game pressers with Brock Purdy because he's so low-key, you know, so mild-mannered. But, boy, he was saying that McCaffrey should be the MVP. Oh, very much so. I mean, you talk about a man, and he's – I'll say this about his preparation. I've interviewed him one time. He is fanatical about being fanatical in terms of training. Mm-hmm. I mean, his regimen is one of the most unique things I've, I've read about. And then, so you got Purdy, who obviously is the next Tom Brady. You know, yeah. I'm the last man in the draft, yeah. throwing for 374 yards on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And John Lynch Jr. has done a phenomenal job in terms of player acquisitions and plug-in guys. I mean, historically... Teams that are successful, go find guys, guys that are unhappy, guys on the last year of the contract. And and John Lynch Jr. has done a pretty good job plugging those guys in. And Purdy's, Purdy is just tremendous. And now, obviously, McCaffrey is Mr. Everything. And then you got the crazy man, George Kittle, running seam routes. Mm-hmm. Can't cover him because he's so big and rangy. And then you got Debo and you got Ayuk. Holy yeah. cow. So they, they're they're got all the bullets in the gun. Should we just fast forward to the Super Bowl next week? <laughs> I mean, does an AFC team even have a chance well, for the Baltimore's Super Bowl? Baltimore's defense is pretty fierce. Mm-hmm. And Lamar makes a lot of things happen on that side of the ball. So, yeah, I could see San Francisco, Baltimore in the Super Bowl. I can't see Kansas City in the Super Bowl. Now, when it's become very evident, the dude's not going to play a home game at Arrowhead. Mm. They're they're going on the road. They have not been on the road ever for a playoff game. Ever. 
and now it's Super Bowl. Yeah, obviously, but they've not been in a, on a road venue for a playoff game with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Ever. Really? Yeah, that's incredible. Wow, I never knew that. Well, see, so you're not reading my website every yeah. day. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> but yeah, Niners, Ravens, it'd be like uh, Ka- the Kaepernick one when the lights went out in yeah. Superdome. So <laughs> we got a ways to go. Injuries change everything. No doubt about it. Lamar Jackson gets hurt. Now it's suddenly a very different Baltimore Raven team. Yeah. Okay. Be, maybe the, uh, the in that case, Baltimore would have to trade for Easton Stick. Hey, listen, <laughs> item one, we want you to subscribe to what we're doing. Share everything with your friends. Now, you guys all tweet, you all text, you email. Tell them what we're doing, our bonus Monday podcast, our Thursday podcast. And we want you to subscribe, share. We want you to join Hacksaw's Insiders Group. We're kind of brainstorming a bunch of different things we're going to do with our followers. And we thank you for joining us. Our podcast brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. Nine locations to serve you. They've been in business for more than 100 years. Got plans for 2024. Think Dixie Line Lumber. John, take a deep breath. We'll be back here Thursday. Same channel, same station. More of the same stuff. More of the same stuff. And in between now and then, I got some Christmas shopping to do. Good to talk to you. We'll be back Thursday. Thanks for joining us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.